So um, welcome everybody. My name's Scott, and uh, we're at week two of our series, You're So Vain. You're so vain. You probably think the series is about you. Um, today, today we're looking at the, the world of iPhones and iPads and iTunes and I tweet and I blog and I rant and I rave and I want and I buy and all that good stuff. We want to take a harsh but fun look, always fun, looking at our relationship uh, with technology, how it relates to this battle that we're in against narcissism. And most importantly, we're going we're gonna to take a look at the scriptures uh, for some answers. Do 2,000-year-old do scriptures have answers? Yes, they do. It's an amazing thing. Now, when you talk about technology and the dilemma that we face today, uh, there's several different ways you can go. And, and some of our brothers and sisters in the Lord, uh, you know, some Christians just sort of give up. They're like, I, I don't know how to, you know, it's, it's inevitable, just give in, just do whatever, just ignore the problem, um, and just enjoy the technology. Uh, others of our brothers and sisters in some denominations uh, say, you know, when progress comes, it's probably going to be evil, therefore we need to reject it entirely. Um, you know, these, these are the people, that, no internet, no television, uh, we'll ride horses and buggies to work, churn our own butter, sew our clothes out of straw, these kind of things. You know, so that's, that's one way you can, you can do it, close yourself off to all world events and just kind of become insular about it. But we have decided as a community not to go either of those ways. We want to go the third way. We're always looking for that third Jesus way, right? So instead, the question for us is, how can we redeem rather than reject technology? How can we redeem technology and use it for the purposes of God uh, rather than just uh, follow the way of pop culture? So that's kind of what we're talking about today. If you're like me, technology is indispensable. It's like become indispensable. It's ubiquitous. It's, it's, you know, it's almost 24-7. If you have kids, boy, you, you really understand too the, the struggle of trying to hold back the tide of technology in your home, uh, internet, video games, social media. It seems overwhelming. The church historian Leonard Sweet, he said something. He said, our culture has become so self-obsessed, we can't even spell the word we without two eyes anymore, right? <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm here all week. Um, I really, I really am. I'm here all week. Uh, so, but, but seriously, what a great symbol, right? I know nobody like actually plays Wii's anymore. But what a great symbol of how we use technology today. In some regards, to that it drives us away from relationship. Even when we l- use like relationshipy language. To make it sound really good, you know, play the we, right? And the image they sold us was what? Like everybody's going to come over, going to have a party, and we're all going to be in the living room, like playing, you know, and it's going to bring you together. The reality, it's a lonely dude in his bedroom playing the we, right? Usually that's kind of, and in practical terms, what we've done as a society, what we see more and more technology can do is turn, of our, turn all our we's into me's right? It turns our we's into me's, and then what all these millions of desperate cries are out there, these, these me's are all out there crying out for other people on the internet to please pay attention to me, right? Pay attention to me. Now, there are ways technology can be useful in drawing us together. I firmly believe that, instead of wedging us apart. So we want to encourage the one and rebel against the other, right? Does that make sense? We want to encourage the one, rebel against the other. I wanted to think about, if you think about some practical examples of 
how fast and how uh, completely te- technology has changed, changed us, changed our culture, and, and itself has changed. Just in the past 10 years, really, uh, it, it has kind of gone through this huge sea change. One is uh, cell phones. Think about cell phones. They've changed the world entirely. And in some cases, I like the change, right? I, I mean, now you, you can, you can uh, hook up with somebody a lot easier now, you know, because you know where they, you know, you know how to reach them. They're, they're connected to their phone. Um, so some of that is, is good. It kind of connects us. But at the same time, you notice, too, like even with phones, we're moving from a talking out loud kind of a culture uh, to, you know, that kind of a voice culture to short, quick messaging. Um, uh, one of my favorite new comedians, his name's Gary Goldman. He points this out in a clip here. Guys, I'm going to play this. And uh, so let, w- watch this. It's just about a minute long. I uh, hope you enjoy this as much as... I enjoy it. Here we go. That's what we do. We wind everything into perfection. The phone, my, my parents had a very different experience with the phone. They, this is good. They used to talk to people on it. <laughs> and to me, the phone is this, this seldom used app on my phone. <laughs> And if you, if you use it on me, oh, God help you. I, how dare you? I am furious when I get a phone call. You, you text me first to see if I'm even taking phone calls today. And I'll, I'll text you back with a window. But we, we are relentless with how we want the phone to be better. Like, we, also, we want all our music. All our music on the phone. You, you, you want all your music on the phone. No, I'm sorry, I, I, I misspoke. We want all the music. <laughs> Every song ever on our phone now. <laughs> okay, but like, what are you willing to pay for that? <laughs> pay for it? Nothing, nothing, nothing. My offer is this, nothing. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Speaking of mobile phones, the camera app, right? Speaking of apps, the camera app. Uh, it's actually made owning an actual camera pretty obsolete for those of us who aren't pro- professional photographers, right? And, and I'm just thinking about the way the camera was used. Even when I was a kid growing up, you know, the, the camera was, it was kind of expensive, so not everybody had their own camera. Usually you had like a family camera. And so, the, you know, and you had to like buy film. You had to go to the store, buy film for the camera, and it had a limited number of pictures, like 20 pictures on there. So you had to like take care of what you took a picture of. And, and then you had to take that and go get it developed. And it was just this big deal. So every picture was like really precious. You know, and it was usually even that was a little more of a communal aspect because you're taking pictures of people and you know the Grand Canyon or whatever. And 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 now it's very different. We take a thousand pics in a day and we post them all online, right? Because everyone wants to see all these pics. And what we take a picture of has changed too, right? We used to take the picture of the family standing in front of the Grand Canyon. Now we take a picture of the fajitas that they just served me, right? Uh, Or it's pics of myself, right? So now you know we used to take. We used to take pictures like this, and now it's like this, right? Here I am in front of this, and here I am in front of this, and here I am looking hot in front of the mirror this morning. You know, this is, this is like what we take a picture of has completely changed. The evolution of the Internet as a whole has, has changed so much. To me, this is what's really fascinating. When you think about it, it used to be a technology where we, we could tap into to learn stuff, 
right? I remember when, when I first started dating Melissa. Um, this was a, a while back in, in my apartment. I didn't have the internet yet. This was, this was so far ago, long ago, that uh, when I would go to her house, they had America Online. Remember? It, they, they actually sent billions of these CDs to everybody in the mail. You remember that? So they had America Online. So I, like, I, I was into her, but I really liked the internet. So I'd go over to her house. I'd be like, hi, can, can I come in and play on your internet? And we'd, you know, the internet, it was like amazing. But, you know, it's just, there was this wealth of information at our fingertips, right? You remember? And the, so the internet was this place you just go, and the world just opened up to you, and you just learned all this stuff. Now the polls have flipped when it comes to the internet. It's a place people go not to learn stuff, but to express stuff, right? People don't go to the internet to learn and grow and find out about things. They go to put their lives on display, and, and so it's just kind of like everybody's just throwing it out there, putting it on display. I don't know if anybody's reading the internet, but everybody's posting, right? We, we post the selfie. Uh, to, we update the, our ever-changing status of our mood. You know, what it is, well, an hour ago it was this way, but now I need everybody to know I'm feeling like this. And, you know, we blog. And so, and now some blogs are, are good. I like, I like um, some blogs. They're interesting. They're fascinating. You know, they can be like a fascinating little slice of of life that's outside of your own four walls. You know, it's an interesting thing to just see, and there's blogs I go to uh, every week just to kind of check them out. There's other blogs I've read. They should not be for public consumption, right? There's things out there, you're just like, you just want to go, oh, no, 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 no. You shouldn't be writing that. That's way too much information, or it's just not interesting, or it's just coming from this very uninformed mind. And, and, you know, some people, you just want to go like, why are you on the web? We need to introduce you to an alternative technology called the diary, right? (laughs) The diary. It's wonderful. You carry it around with you. You can write stuff in it, and you can just, you know, express yourself like crazy and not infect the world as you're processing. Um, Some people. Then then there's YouTube, of course. And YouTube, we can take a home movie, which used to be for our family. We would take a home movie and show it to our family. We'd look at it once a year or something like that. Now we put it on YouTube for all the world, all the people that we don't care about or don't care about us, but they can all see it. Now, again, through all of these avenues of technology, they can be great. Technology can be great. There's good sides to them. And then there's some really, really big downsides. The number one website just uh, 10 years ago, anybody tell me in the year 2007, 10 years ago, what the number one visited website in America was? MySpace, somebody said it. MySpace, right? Remember? MySpace. So out of the ashes of MySpace, of course, came Facebook, which is still kind of the granddaddy, you know, of the modern social media today. And Facebook has kind of become the poster child of self, the self-promotion engine, right? Because we post what makes us look good. We post what makes us feel good on there. Um, and right down the middle of Facebook is basically this incredible gossip column that we can, you know, post and argue and whatever it is. Right down the middle of the page, it's basically Facebook is like our own little pool that we can stare at ourselves at and get lost in the image. You know what I mean? And, and then, of course, Twitter rose to power, um, and, and then you have Snapchat now and Instagram and all these great things. And now instead of just everybody posting uh, what they're doing when they're sitting at their computer, everyone's posting what they're doing and thinking about every moment of the day, you know, because it's, it's mobile. And so we are using technology more and more and more 
The problem is we're using it more and more to self-promote and to promote the trivial. And we have to ask the question, every minute that we're doing that, we're feeding that beast and spending our time doing that, are we being other-centered? Are we, are we thinking the big thoughts? Are we, are we living the rich, active lives that God has designed his human beings to live? Now, here's my confession. I use it all, right? I, I, I use it all. I tweet, I blog, I post, I, th- I think out loud, I comment, I like things, you know, that someone else posted or something like that. So I have to ask myself the same question. The question is, where is that sweet spot? Where is that healthy balance where we're actually using technology to become a better influence on our culture rather than just using it in the unhealthy way that culture has handed it to us? Where is that sweet spot? Because sometimes, how many of you know, culture can hand you a great tool, but it gives you the wrong instructions. It'll hand you a great tool, but it'll give you the wrong instructions. It's kind of like culture handed us a knife. And it said, look, here's a knife. And that knife, you know, a knife can be used for good or bad, right? Uh, but it's, though, it's as though our culture handed us this tool and said, look, can I interest you in this knife? You can stab people really good now, right? And look how easily you can just stab anybody around you, right? Oh, and, and you know, the reaction of some people is, uh, well, I guess, you know, if that's what they say it's for, I guess so. You know, we just sort of go go with what we're told. Um, and then, you know, you have the other side. The religious conservatives will say, yikes, you know, that knife, that's a bad thing. Stay away from those. Stay away from those knives. But we can be more creative than that, right? We can turn technology on its head. We can be more wise, and we can say, let's see the potential in this technology. Not as a self-loving tool for evil, but... but but I can use my creativity, and I can ask, how can I flip this thing upside down and use this for good? Um, it, it's funny. Like we saw with the we, the technology today, the way culture presents us technology, it tries to put it in palatable language. It, it puts it in language, you know, like, like play the we. It'll make you to hang out more together. Um, but the language means something different in reality. Uh, if I asked anybody maybe over 40, let's just pick that number. It, you know, it's a generalization. I'm over 40. If, if, we picked, if we just grabbed you and we said, how many friends do you have? Um, if I asked you this question, more than likely you would assume I am asking you the same question that this question, these words would have meant for the last 100,000 years, right? How many friends do you have? You know, yeah, I got a couple of friends. Um, if you ask someone under 40 this question, it has a completely different meaning, right? Because now friend, friend is a verb, right? So how many friends do you have means something very different. And so how many actual friends do you have? Like, think about this for a second. Think of your own life. How many actual friends, real friends do you have? Uh, you've probably heard there's, there's different tests for what is a friend, what makes a real friend? Have you ever heard of the 2 a.m. test? The 2 a.m. test, you know, it's 2 a.m., you're downtown, you've lost your wallet and your keys, who do you call and say, come pick me up? Um, and those are good friends, right? That's a good friend. You have a, if you have a handful of people like that, you know, you are a rich person, right? Now, they may berate you for being downtown at 2 a.m., 
but they're gonna, they'll come pick you up, right? That's a bud. Um, there's the, uh, the best friend test, otherwise known as who will help you bury the body, <laughs> right? Monica? <clears throat> she got my back. Um, so, yeah, there's, you know, what you find out really quickly is that your actual friends are not necessarily the same people who are commenting on your photos, you know, and liking your posts. It's a different thing. Now, last week we talked, uh, two weeks ago when we started this, we talked about this phenomenon of narcissism. I'm not going to go into a whole bunch of review about that, but in case you missed it, just to summarize, narcissism is when our, our ego, our self-esteem, our self-worth, self-focus, egocentric self-love, it goes into this toxic overdrive to the point where it becomes destructive to our relationships, um, to others, and destructive to ourselves. And the truth is there is a there is, you know, a tendency for narcissism in all of us. And so what Christ wants to do is save us from ourselves and help us walk in our new identity in Christ. Save us from ourselves. Help us walk in our new identity in Christ. Now, lest you think, there are some interesting things that kind of came out of home life this week. In case you're, you're thinking that narcissists go around acting like jerks 24-7. You know, they just come through the door all the time. Hey, the narcissist is here. Um, The truth is our narcissistic side actually learns to regulate itself, right? We're we're more clever than that. Uh, It's always, always though, to achieve the end goal. The end goal is always self-admiration, self-advancement. There's always that end goal. But narcissists can even portray sometimes a... uh, a false humility, uh, or appear to be caring. Narcissists know, you know, how to appear to be caring when it serves their self-promotion engine, right? Always when it serves the engine. And so what you want to look for, you know, is, is there consistency over time? What, is there genuine caring for people over time uh, on a consistent basis? And especially in the little things, right? In the little things, do they practice ongoing, other-centered behavior in the little things that maybe not everybody notices? Or do they tend to just make grand gestures that sort of further their brand? You know what I mean? It's easy to make those grand gestures, but are they doing it in the little things? Narcissists can also be very charming, right? They've learned to use the tools at their disposal to win converts to them, right? So they can use charm. They can, you know, they can make you feel like they're your best friend. Um, they can also be very shrewd, very wise. Now, this is what I find really interesting. In the New Testament, there's a word. It's a Greek word used over and over, and it's phronimos. Phronimos, it's so brilliant. The New Testament is brilliant. It, it's a word that is translated both wise and shrewd, depending on the context, it might be talking about one person who's very intelligent, who uses great wisdom to do the right thing. It might be talking about a sneaky person, uses the same word, phronimos. And what the Greek word means is the ability to have insight into social situations and people. The ability to have, it's like an art, the art of insight into social situations and people. They can read the situation, right? So that ability can be used for good or evil. It could be both wise or shrewd, phronimos. And, and it's because it's knowing how to maneuver with people in order to achieve a desired goal. 
And, and when you think about it, some of the greatest leaders who've ever lived were very adept at inspiring people, right? Inspiring them to follow the cause, and they were great leaders to take action, as were some of the worst madmen who ever lived. They're very, they could be very inspiring, right? So the, the difference is if you take away the desire to serve other people, if you take away the desire to make the world a better place, then that power Comes, becomes completely self-serving, and it's, it can be horribly destructive. Wielding that power throughout history, throughout history we see it, it's led to both benevolent kings and horrible tyrants. That same power to inspire, it can, it can, make, it can turn you into an inspiring preacher of the gospel or a cult leader, right? Both of those people, you know, you, you see people like on TV and you're like, man, they, they got it. Man, they, they just make me want to just, I would follow them anywhere, right? Well, that's the same guy living out in the desert in California who's got his little harem, right? He knows how to inspire people to follow him anywhere too. So, so it's important we don't mistake charisma or charm in anybody as someone looking out for your good, right? That's just sort of a little fatherly advice there. Don't mistake charm and charisma for somebody looking out for your good. But here's what's interesting. This ability to say things or put things in a way that inspires people to do, you know, what you hope they will do, it's simply an ability some people have. It's an ability some people have, and that ability itself is not wrong. Jesus says this in Matthew 10, verse 16. He tells us to be innocent as doves here, but wise as serpents. Some of your translations, if you're looking at it, will say shrewd. It's that word again, phronemos. Wise or shrewd as serpents. Jesus tells us this. Now, what happens if we are just shrewd as serpents? It becomes narcissistic, right? That's a recipe for bad, bad stuff. Having that ability can be a good thing when it is partnered with being innocent as a dove. We might put it this way. Here's your, here's your tweetable moment, right? You ready? Here you go. Wielding wisdom without love is as dangerous to others as lavishing love without wisdom is to you. When you wield wisdom without love, what is that? That's manipulation. That's manipulating people, and that's dangerous. It's toxic. It's horrible to do that to other people. But at the same time, we can wield love and, and lavish love willy-nilly without using any wisdom. That can hurt others as well as ourselves, right? Countless people have been hurt by one used without the other. Now, are you supposed to love everybody? Yes, yes. I hope that wasn't hard for this church. You're supposed to love everybody. Okay, whew. I would not have done my job well if that was hard for you. You're supposed to love everybody. So what does this mean? You have to use wisdom. And, it, and so you use wisdom, sometimes on a person-by-person basis. How can I best express love to this person that will help them, that will better their life, right? Because you can express love one way to one person, and if you express it that way to this person, it could ruin them, right? You know what I mean? So we use wisdom. The Holy Spirit comes into play right there. So wisdom and love. We have to partner wisdom. That's the art of having insight into a situation or people, kind of what's, what's making them tick. We have to partner that wisdom with other-centered love that Jesus calls us to. Otherwise, we're just manipulating people. Uh, and, and, but if we use them both, then we're not being manipulative or we're not in danger of being foolish and doing something foolish. Amen? Okay, here's the problem. Narcissists thrive in this technological culture. 
This is the problem today. They thrive in this culture because our new technologies, they cater to narcissists. They also feed upon our natural narcissistic tendencies that you and I have, right? So, so it's this self-feeding narcissist building machine. In our Facebook-type culture, the narcissists are the ones who appear the most successful because they do a good job self-promoting. So they appear the most successful, the most happy, the most fortunate, the most popular, and we see that. And what that leads to is the next problem, which is narcissists, therefore, end up becoming our role models. The narcissist becomes our role model, because who doesn't want to be like that guy? Man, look, he's got it going on. So that's my role model now. And, and so they, uh, they're the ones who appear the most successful and thriving, so they become the role models for the rest of us. That leads to the next problem, which is that normal people like you, who may not necessarily be that egocentric, you got a little bit, but you're not so much, you start to adopt narcissistic behavior because that's your role model. And, and, because, and that becomes the new normal, right? That's the new normal. So we actually have people in our culture here in America who are psychologically unwell setting the baseline for what's the new normal. And that's what we shoot for, and that's what we want to strive for, right? That's the new normal for the rest of us, which leads to the final problem. What happens to us whole society is the culture itself becomes psychologically, relationally sick. The whole society, the culture, because now it's just part of the culture. It's sick. And so that's where we come in. It falls on us who are brave enough to be in the world, but not of the world. We've got to be brave enough to be in the world, but not of the world, to be different. We've got to be different. It's time for those of us who have supernatural insight, who are led by the Lord, led by the Holy Spirit, to say it, it's time to rebel. We can make a change. We can make a change through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, now while some people might choose to completely unplug from the grid, and I respect that decision, for most of us, that rebellion is going to take the shape of redeeming rather than completely rejecting the technology. Redeem the technology. We want to ask that original question. How can I actually use this technology for something better than it was designed for in the first place? How can we use this same technology that's being misused by the culture to improve our culture? How can we use it? So with that in mind, so we've looked at technology We've looked at narcissism and how they feed on each other. Let's look for for a few more minutes that we have left. Let's look at Scripture and see how Christ frees us up to actually go into these technological environments. Not for self-promotion, not for self-affirmation, but to make a difference in in how we approach others and how we point to Jesus and love people in authentic, real ways. We want to be people of wisdom and love, right? Wisdom and love. Wise as serpents, harmless as doves, wisdom and love. We want to behave as the serpent and the dove. You never had a pastor tell you to behave like a snake before, I bet. (laughs) Right? There you go. It's from the Bible. Serpent and the dove. Okay. So let's look at how this unpacks. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul here is talking in verse 15. He tells us about Jesus who died for us that we might no longer live for themselves. We might no longer live for ourselves. He died for us so that we might no longer live for ourselves. Hmm. So God comes to us 
and, and says, I want to give my life. He says, I want to give my life for you. And now what I'm calling you to do is to live that way for other people. I'm giving my life for you. You live that way for other people. So we can enter into this reality of God's amazing love for us, right? Oh, his amazing love. It's, it's mind-boggling. But we don't let that become the final destination because then we just get puffed up with pride, right? Oh, I'm so amazing. God loves me. Woo! Just going to bask in love for a while, right? We just stay there. That's not the goal. We, we say, no, no, no. Now I'm going to follow suit. I will give my life for others, I will no longer live for myself. I'm telling you what, how would just this one verse radically change our relationship with technology? If we approach technology this way, I no longer live for myself. If every time we went online, we said, you know what, it's not enough just to resist the temptation to be narcissistic because we all get that, oh, maybe I shouldn't post that. You know, we all get that, maybe, maybe I'm actually here to live for others, to spread joy and grace and peace to them. How can I make a difference in someone else's life, right? Verse 16, he says this, from now on we regard no one from, from a human point of view because we saw Jesus that way. We saw Jesus that way, but now he's given us this whole new way of looking at people. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... That person is a new person. The old has passed away. The new has come. The old has passed away. The new has come. If anyone is in Christ. So Jesus redeems. He rescues. He recreates us. And and he gets us back on track with with who we're designed to be in the first place. Back in the garden, right? This this is like the us. We were supposed to be back in the garden. You know, Genesis begins with Genesis 1, not Genesis 3. There, there There was an us before the fall. That's who Jesus brings us back to, right? He really doesn't think of you as a dirty, filthy worm. He looks at you now, and he sees the new Adam, right? He sees this person who has been redeemed, recreated, a new creation. So that fresh start, that's really good news to us. That's good news. Verse 18 says this, This is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So this, this reconciliation, this theme goes all through this passage as well as the Bible. It's the theme of the gospel. We are reconciled with God. This concept right here is, is the source of our mission to other people. That we are reconciled with God. And, and, and it's how we can influence the world around us by putting together what is broken. We get to be partners with God in that. Putting together what is broken, especially in the area of relationships. Verse 19 says this, that God was reconciling the, word to him, the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. There it is. And verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Oh, that's beautiful. Where does an ambassador live? He lives in a, diff- he lives in a foreign country, doesn't he? You and I live in a foreign land. We're ambassadors of a kingdom. But our goal is not to just stay inside the embassy, right? No, we represent the kingdom, right? To this land that we live in. That's who we are. We are ambassadors as though Christ were making his appeal through us. Uh, We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Are you starting to see your identity in Christ? The righteousness of God. He became the sin, 
so that you could be the righteousness of God. I firmly believe that just about every problem we come up against emotionally, spiritually, relationally has at its core a misunderstanding of our identity in Christ. If we understood our identity in Christ, boy, that would solve a lot of issues. What an amazing exchange this is here. Our sin for his righteousness. This is good news, and we get to tell the world about this good news. That's what we get to do. So if you're, if you're a disciple here, when this clicks for you, for the disciple that this, this suddenly makes sense, you start to go, you know what? It's, it's aiming too low to just say, well, how do I not be influenced by the culture of narcissism? That's really aiming too low, right? We can go way beyond that. We can say, how can I use whatever tools are around me to advance this message, this amazing gospel of reconciliation, right? That is being a disciple who makes disciples instead of just being people only concerned with our own purity. Disciples who make disciples. They leave the embassy. They go out there. They represent the kingdom. Now, what does that look like? That might look like talking about Jesus. You get online or you get on a social media, and you might, it might mean talking about Jesus, telling people about Jesus. What it also might be is representing the kingdom and injecting that viewpoint of Jesus into whatever conversation is being talked about, right? So it can look that way. Either way, we're being the living, breathing message of Christ to other people. Okay, so what do we do? I want to make this, you know, we, we always want to make this as practical as we can. Here's some, here's some tips. I'm going to give you Three tips. Number one, steer your conversation towards something bigger than yourself. These are real simple things. Just steer your conversation towards something bigger than yourself. Rather than just trying to stop being self-centered, you know, don't be a narcissist, don't be a narcissist, don't be a narcissist, because really, who are you thinking about? You're thinking about yourself right then, right? Am I being a narcissist? Oh, I shouldn't be a narcissist. You're thinking about yourself, (laughs) Try filling your thoughts with something greater than yourself altogether. Something greater that helps you forget yourself altogether, right? Make someone else the center of your attention, of your online and in-person conversation, right? Now, can you never mention yourself? Of course not. You're not a robot, right? You'll mention yourself sometimes. But try to make that the, the person, like when you're in a conversation with somebody, whether it's in real life or a fake person online. <laughs> try, try to make that person the object of your thoughts. Make them the center of the conversation more often than yourself. More often than yourself. Better yet, steer the conversation up to Jesus, right? Steer it that way. Galatians 6 says this. Paul said, May I never boast about anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. May I never boast about anything except for the cross. You know who's a really great example of this, of doing this? John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a really cool example. He is a freak, okay? John the Baptist comes before Jesus, right? And you notice he grabbed a lot of attention. He did. He grabbed people's attention. He attracted a lot of people. They came, he got people's notice. But he used that attention to point people towards Jesus and the things that are important to Jesus, right? John the Baptist 
He was no like little wildflower, like, oh, don't look at me. No, he would like dressed wild. He ate locusts and honey. You know, he was a weird person. And people would come to see him. Is this guy mad? Is he a prophet? Is he a comedian? What is he? Is he a crazy nut? Let's go check him out. And, you know, and so John the Baptist would get these people and he'd say, guys, guys, okay, I'm glad you all showed up. Thank you for coming. Let me tell you about the kingdom. That's John the Baptist, right? So pull a John the Baptist, right? If you get the attention, pull a John the Baptist. See, it's, it's not wrong if people are paying attention to you, right? About 90% of you are paying attention to me right now. The rest of you are <laughs> nodding off. It's okay. Time change. That's what I'm going to blame it on. It's the time change. <laughs> We're all a little drowsy. Um, but see, it's not wrong if people... If God puts you in a position and people are paying attention to you, or God puts you in a position to influence people around you, we want that. God will put you in positions of influence in your circles. He will. What you do is you choose how to spend that influence like currency, right? Those are gold coins, baby. How are you going to spend it? How are you going to spend that? Do you point toward things that matter to Jesus do you, do you encourage his kingdom, his way of life when people are talking to you, the advice you give or the thoughts you give, the opinions? Is it pointing people towards the Jesus way of life or are you kind of just really the self-promotion engine? Are you just self-promoting? Are people seeing Jesus more clearly because of the attention they give you? Or are you reflecting that attention toward others and toward Jesus? See, the attention that people give us, the influence that we have, it shouldn't result in us being exalted. It shouldn't result in us being exalted. It should always point back to Jesus, right? Because we're, we're not that hot stuff, right? We're not that interesting, <laughs> right? It should all point to Jesus. Jesus, right? Jesus finds you and me, and we are broken. We are not, we're really, you know, I know there's a lot of like cool memes and stuff like that on the internet, but I really don't like to think of us as these like gorgeous works of art. When Jesus finds us, we are a thousand shards of glass on the ground. And he gathers those shards of glass together. And he'd even cut his hands while he was doing it. And he gathers those things together. And you know what he makes? He makes this beautifully, perfectly reflective mirror. That is what he forms us into. Now, you probably looked at a mirror this morning. Does anybody remember your mirror did you praise your mirror? Oh, mirror, you are beautiful. No, the mirror, we appreciate the mirror, don't we? Right? You look all pretty this morning. I can tell. You, you looked in one. Right? We appreciate the mirror, but we don't walk away thinking about the mirror. The, the thing that catches our eye, the beauty that catches our eye, is what the mirror reflects. It's about, we are about reflecting the love of Jesus. That is really our, our role Reflecting Jesus, reflecting the hope of the kingdom to other people. And if we're doing our job right, they don't walk away thinking about us at all. They just walk away with hope if we're doing our job right. Okay, that was number one. Number two, when you do talk about yourself, be authentic. Okay? Here in the age of technology, we are, see, we have to keep this in mind. So we, ha- we are freed up now. Because there will be on occasion that we talk about ourselves. The Bible even talks about proper times that we are to talk about ourselves to other people. We're freed, though, from pretending that we don't mess up. We, we don't have to pretend that we have it all together. We don't have to keep secrets about our own mess-ups. 
because the Bible tells us that we should expect them. There's scriptures all through the New Testament that tells the church what to do when you mess up. That tells me the Bible expects us to mess up, right? We are glorious image bearers, but, but we, are, you know, we come to Jesus broken, and that's something that we can expect as he's putting us back together, which is really strange because in religious circles, that seems to be where everybody like, has their game face on, right? It's like we don't really believe that. We have our game face on, and it's the place where everybody tries to look as perfect as possible. And we are the people that have access to the book that says, you're messed up, <laughs> right? We get to read the book. We know about that, right? We see it. So, so we can stop hiding the mess-ups, and instead, in an authentic community, you know what that looks like? That looks like a place where you treat your weaknesses as something that needs healing rather than something that needs punishing, See, if you're not in Christ, it's something to be punished, right? It's something that you pay for, you know, and in the end, you're going to pay for it. But when you are in Christ, those weaknesses, Christ says those are things that need healing. And so we can come to each other. We don't be ashamed. We come to each other, hey, I need, I need healing, right? And so that, that's a beautiful thing. It's, our weaknesses are something that need healing. First uh, John chapter 1 says this, if we claim to be without sin, he's talking to the church, by the way, We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He's not talking to pagans here. He's talking to a church. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So John's reminding Christians here, this is an ongoing process of life, right? What did Jesus teach us to pray? Lord, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sins against us. It's just this constant thing. We are just forgiveness machines, baby. You know, we are constantly, we're forgiven as we're being forgiven. We're Forgiving as we're being forgiven. Yeah, we're, if we're forgiving, we're forgiving, and we're being forgiven. James 5.16 says, You, church, are to confess your sins to each other so that you may be punished, healed. Confess your sins so you may be healed. What an interesting thing for him to say. He doesn't even say forgiven. He says healed. Wow. Um. We have to protect in a church like ours. We have to constantly be diligent about it because it's not human nature to be honest, is it? I mean, it's not my human nature to be honest with you. I want to present my best self to you, you know. And so we have to constantly be diligent and intentionally protect um, this, this authenticity in our community. We have to foster it. Because we are, we are freed up, and we are, not being, we are not freed up by the gospel to protect our fragile egos, to keep secrets, but to, rather to say, Here, here's how I messed up, and I need, I need your help in helping me grow in that. Okay, so that's number two. Having said all of that, tip number three, remember number one. <laughs> okay? Keep going back to number one increasingly steer your conversation towards something bigger than yourself. Here's, here's the truth, and we all know this is true. If you spend all your time just being really authentic and talking about yourself, you might be missing the bigger picture of your purpose. Some of us live there. Some of us live in number two. Let me tell you about myself. And, and what we, that's good. What we want to do then is head back to number one. Think about things bigger than us, right? Um, being able to be authentic with each other about our weaknesses, that is a privilege purchased by the gospel. See, the gospel gives us that privilege. 
it is not our purpose. Our purpose is not to authentically talk about ourselves. That is a privilege that we now have. You understand? That just came to me as a freebie. You're welcome. I'm proud of that one. So. <laughs> Which is wrong, and so now I have to repent. Okay. Uh, okay, so, so this... <clears throat> let's, let's land this plane here. That This helps us transform our relationship with technology. Because... Ha- how, how you now when you interact with technology when you interact with technology <clears throat> never forget that you represent a whole different way of living <clears throat> sorry you represent a whole different way of viewing the world for other people and it's going to be a blessing to them they can see it and be blessed by that so instead of using technology the way the culture just tells us to use it taking us away from community and into more isolation and you know, into these surface, shallow uh, relationships, we can rebel against that. We can be the voice that offers a desperate world some very good news. Jesus said the coolest thing. This is my last scripture. <clears throat> John 7. He says this. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. Okay. Thank you. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit which believers in him were to receive. Look at that phrase right there. These rivers of living water flow. These rivers of living water that flow that are going to quench the thirst of this desperate world around us. Where do these rivers flow from? Our heart, your heart, that's where they flow from. I mean, think about it. The Holy Spirit isn't tweeting. He doesn't have an account you can join. He's not on Facebook posting his thoughts. He's not on Facebook even posting, you know, the way to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not on Facebook. He is flowing through you to do that. Out of your heart, empowered by the Spirit, will flow these rivers of living waters. So we get to partner with God. We get to partner with him. Let these rivers flow from you in Jesus' name. Join the rebellion against the culture of narcissism. Amen? Infiltrate the world around us, even the cyber world. Infiltrate it. Be the salt. Be the light. Dive in. Make a difference. That's what we can do. That is being a disciple who makes disciples wherever she or he goes. That's the kind of disciples we want to make. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down as I'm praying. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, we love you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy. Oh, we can't take that for granted because we need it every single day. We thank you, Lord God. With you, nothing is impossible. We're nothing without you, but with you, nothing is impossible because you empower us. And you partner, we get to partner with you, Lord God. Show us the next right step to take. Help us to be mindful every time we pull out our phone, every time we post, we respond, every time we join the cyber world. Help us to reflect you. Help us to think, what would would Jesus post right here? How can I further his cause? How can I inject the hope of the kingdom into this conversation that they're having right now? 
not to win any argument, but to inject hope. Let me be an influencer. Lord, help us so much. Help us to use the tools that you've given us. You've planted us in this 21st century. For some reason, we live here. Help us to use these tools for your glory, for your benefit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.